The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We're going to extend our practice a little with a bit of movement. So you can just, wherever you are, don't make special arrangements. I'm just making one little move here. You can just stand wherever you are. And if standing isn't the right thing for your body and you feel more comfortable in a chair, it's okay to stay seated. But if you are able to stand, you just want to rest the hands on the belly. Just feel the body in the standing posture. Encourage any stale or stagnant energy to move. We're just going to allow the feet to move back and forth, rocking a little side to side, even just subtle movements. Taking a couple of deep breaths here. And dropping the arms. And just allowing the body to just sway, move, just how it wants to. Rotating the shoulders, bending, inviting the energy to move, and following your intuition as to what feels good and right. And we'll do some pelvic tilts, just standing, rocking the hips forward and back a few times. And then doing some circles with the trunk in both directions. And let's just shake it out a little bit.
And finding some stillness when you're ready once more. And if you have glasses on, you can take them off. Put them in your pocket or on a table or something near. And we'll rub our arms, hands together a little, generate some warmth. And then resting our head in our hands, allowing the head to be held. And then with the fingertips, we're gonna massage the face. We'll start with the eyeballs and we're just making some gentle circles around the eyeballs. And then we'll get bigger with the circles and we'll go up and over the brow and down the cheekbone and up the bridge of the nose and down the forehead, down the cheeks and the chin, up the bridge of the nose again and down around the edges of the face. And then we'll go up the middle of the face, over the bridge of the nose and down the back of the head. And then pausing here and just giving the neck a little massage. You can cross your hands and give the shoulders a little squeeze. Squeeze all the way down the arms. And with the fingers, we'll massage the ears. Just a little massage down the lobes, all around, giving a little tug on the lobes. And then if you'd like to, you can make some loose fists and we'll do a little pounding in the kidney area. And down the buttocks. And with an open hand, do a little rubbing in that area. Up the back. Down the buttocks, down the hips. And we'll go all the way down the legs. Down the front of the legs and up the backs of the legs. A couple of times. Just massaging, rubbing. And down the outside of the legs and up the inside of the legs a couple of times. A little more rubbing in the lower back area, maybe even some rubbing on the belly, mixing of the energies. And then coming back to a basic standing posture, taking a couple of deep breaths, settling in, some slight movement to the body, just inviting the energy to be free. Not stagnant, moving, always moving. Loose shoulders, loose hips, free flowing energy.
And you can find yourself back to your chair whenever you're ready. And thank you for your practice, everyone. It's nice to include a little movement regularly or at least occasionally in our practice. I I don't know if you could feel it the way I do, but um, it feels like there's some movement Sometimes just a little bit of body movement can support the movement of energy in the heart. Yeah. And so let's, yeah, I appreciate being together. Look around the screens. Say hello to each other. Use the chat if you'd like to say hi. Hey, friends. If you'd like to share how you're doing in the chat, love to hear it and see some comments already. Looks like a lot of hellos to our friend Spruce. <laughs> Hope you're receiving all the love, Spruce. <laughs> if, if you'd like to just say one or two words about how you're doing now, it would be great to hear from some folks in the chat. Thank you. Hmm. Sending you deep good wishes, Tracy.
So I'd like to share a few reflections tonight and then spend most of the time in a question and response time. So it's nice to it's nice to do a little of both. This, this is a quote from the Buddha. He says, Practitioners, this assembly or sangha is free from idle chatter, devoid of idle chatter, and is established on pure heartwood. Such is this community of practitioners, such is this assembly. The sort of assembly that is worthy of gifts worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of respect, an incomparable field of merit for the world. Such is this community of practitioners. Such is this assembly. The sort of assembly to which a small gift when given becomes great, and a great gift greater. Such is this community of practitioners. Such is this assembly. The sort of assembly that, is, that it is rare to see in the world. Such is this community of practitioners. Such is this assembly. The sort of assembly that it would be worth traveling for leagues, taking along provisions in order to see. An assembly that is established on pure heartwood. And really, you know, really goes to the heart of things. A community that knows to go to the heart of things. To let some of the superficiality fall away. Last week I spoke a little bit about refuge and continuing some of the reflections on refuge in my own practice, I'd like to expand from there a little bit tonight. This is in Buddhism, we don't even know if we need to say that. As human beings who gather around some deep values, maybe that's a better way to say it. We find ways to continue to keep our practice, to keep some energy in our practice, to keep our hearts enlivened, to continue to seek goodness and find really skillful ways to be in community with each other. And so as I reflect on refuge, it seems to have taken me deeper and deeper into the the real beauty and the heart's desire to have a skillful and loving sangha. One of the refuges, the three refuges, this quality of seeking 
going for refuge, of continuing to be curious learner of what it means to be human is what we might call going for refuge. So refuge isn't a place that we land and know, it's an inquiry, which is what the path is all about. These teachings don't offer us answers, they offer us a path, a path that's walked. Like any path, it's often not perfect. It's not always straight or clean. It involves adjusting and being nimble. And this is the path that we're on. And so as we go for refuge, it's this willingness to keep being curious, to keep being willing to adjust. And it's in this alive process of movement, the movement that we experience when we move the body, when we take deep breaths even, when we relax the shoulders, when we sit up a little straighter. It's here in this aliveness that we continue to be renewed in our practice. And so I feel like this is really important right now. We're all reckoning with the truth of our humanness individually and collectively in substantial ways. You don't even need to name all of the ways. But it can lead us to feeling tired or burnt out or overly energized. And so finding some stabilizing, steadying, efforting in order to return to what is good and beautiful and useful is so important. I don't know if some of you were, I know that some of you were there because I remember seeing you, but Jason Soul gave a wonderful talk last night. Jason is a activist. Jason is so much more than that. This big-hearted human being who's had great dif- difficulties in his life and overcome so many challenges that were not his, but were born of this white supremacy culture that we live within, participate in. And somehow Jason emerged as this human being who is full of love and one of the messages that he carried forward last night was about our, about how we live with our deepest values to take care of each other. He gave that a word, he called it, well, he said he was talking about abolishing the police. And as that might sound you know, like a big deal. He really broke it down in some very ordinary ways. Like it's just about really being there for each other. And we can do that in ordinary ways. 
So as we connect with this capacity to seek refuge in a beautiful sangha, we learn that we participate in creating that sangha in every moment, in the quality of our presence, the quality of our awareness, in the acts, in the actions that we take. And not just in the physical actions, but in the, you know, the, the ways that we share our love and care for each other by talking, by sending metta, by checking in, by just showing up and being here. It's a much different practice space when the quality of our presence isn't that sincere. But as I look out and even flip through the pages, you know, it almost brings me to tears. There's a lot of sincerity in the room. And a sincerity that we can appreciate and grow from. It's really important to remember that we are, as we are going for refuge as we are enlivening our practice moment by moment, finding the energy to keep seeking, we're actually participating in the creating of something. And so what we model for each other, how we show up for each other is a big part of that. We're impacted. And there's so many of you, so many of you that I know and many of you that I don't know that well, But hopefully we're seeing, even in a simple moment like this, the impact of presence. Like, oh, yeah, sincerity. That's really nice. And so much more. And one of the, the, the sort of fabric that connects Sangha, the fabric that supports this container that we are co-creating, this connection that we're co-creating is our capacity, our skillfulness and our willingness to live an ethical life. So again, the precepts, sila, our integrity and how we enliven the practice of integrity helps us feel as some sort of comfort in the room, even of people that we don't know that well can. It's not perfect. Because we come to our practice with our own experience. And it's not easy. But a community that's alive with inquiry, and recommitment is a community that can feel comfortable, even when our conditioning leads us to believe that it's not possible. I still remember the words of my friend who came to common ground for the first time and they walked in the room and didn't see any any of their people there. And it was sort of heartbreaking. And so they went back to their teacher who lived in California and said, I don't know what to do. I really want to practice here. And this seems like a 
community that I can do that in, but I don't see any of my people and it's really uncomfortable. And their teacher said, well, you be that for someone else. And that was enough. That was enlivening enough for them to keep seeking like, oh, what does this community mean? What does it mean to be a community? What does it mean to show up for each other? How can I do that for someone else? And part of that practice is feeling into the heartbreak. It's hard not to feel like, oh, this is that easy. It's not that easy. And so this going for refuge, going to Sangha, going to the creation, going to the participation in our hearts and co-creating a community that we can feel supported by, feel like we are supporting, feel like we're responsible to and participating in. is is really courageous and uh one of the supporting forces in my life has been ritual or devotion, some kind of devotional practice. So I wanted to get around to leaning into this part of the chapter that Kitty Sara was pointing to in this book that we're going through together, listening to the heart. And so beginning, sometimes beginning is sit with, some kind of devotional practice, not necessarily, it can be if that's your flavor, but it's not necessarily devotion to another being. It's really devotion to this, this enlivening aspect of practice, this renewal to continue to seek, right? This is what we're doing when we're repeating the refuges and a chant as an example, Buddham Saranam Gachami, I go to the Buddha for refuge. Dhammam Saranam Gachami, I go to the Dhamma for refuge. Sangam Saranam Gachami, I go to the Sangha for refuge. It's not like it's an end place, but this repeating of phrases, this chanting, is reminding us to continue to seek, like, oh, is it possible? Is it possible to really trust that this heart knows how to be open, clear, expansive, that this heart knows how to feel the breath moving and not get confused by it? Like, oh, this isn't my breath. This is going to the Buddha for refuge is simply this acknowledgement, right? And much more. But that's one easy way that we can feel into going to the Buddha for refuge. Ah, this breath is not mine. Look at that. It has a life of its own. 
uh, breath is connected with all forces of life, emotional, emotional realm, thoughts, interpersonal influences, how the breath is. Breath comes and goes simply. So going to the Buddha for refuge is this wide, expansive heart, going to the heart for refuge, going to the sensitive heart, trusting that the sensitive heart knows how to connect and knows how to connect with truths and deeper and deeper levels as we live into what it means to be human and be in this complex life that we're living, going to the Dhamma for refuge going to the Sangha for refuge, appreciating that there are other humans on this path, doing the same kind of seeking, imperfect, falling off, getting back, you know, just continuing to co-create, like never denying that we are participating together in something. This is this enlivening, renewing aspect of going to Sangha for refuge. Like, oh, we are always participating in some experience of belonging for ourselves and each other. We're always establishing in every moment what it means to be a community at common ground and elsewhere in the world. Whether we like it or not, you know, I could say, well, I'm not, I'm not really that interested in this community. And I could just pretend like I'm not participating But just that decision is a participation, right? It's a kind of participation. So whether or not we like it, we are a force of karma. As much of a force of karma as we are a force of nature. And we're never going to get away from that. And so it really, it really will serve us well to honor like, oh yeah, every action, every intention bears some fruit, beneficial fruit or non-beneficial fruit, right? And how we enliven our practice moment by moment, day by day, year by year, is to care about that, to keep understanding that, deepen our understanding of that and keep asking the questions, well, what does that mean for me for now? What does that mean for me right now in this community, in this relationship? And so as Jason was talking about abolishing the need for police, he was actually talking about abolishing the need to be dependent on others to take care of us, to actually fully participate and and take responsibility for caring for each other in the ways that we can in all the ways that we can. And to me, that's right in line with the Buddhist teaching, the Buddhist teachings on Sangha, what it means to go to continuing to go to Sangha for refuge. One of the 
significant practices for Kitty Saro that Antonisera they speak about a lot and we're getting into in this book is this Kuan Yin chanting and Kuan Yin practices. And so the Kuan Yin is the embodiment of compassion and the This is a beautiful phrase, Kuan Yin. You might take it to mean she her she who hears the cry, she who gives her life to the uh, she she who hears the cries of the world, one interpretation. Or another way of thinking about that is I give my life over fully to the one who hears the cries of the world, right? So that's this going, continuing to renew. I give my life fully the one who hears the cries of the world. And this devotional aspect of renewing a deepening of our commitment to presence, but also this, I want to say purification. I know that's not the best word for lots of people, but you know, this like purifying our intentions and purifying our presence so that when we are participating, we're, we are contributing something beneficial, like deep compassion, deep kindness, deep love, not turning away from any of the difficulties in the world, but participating as we do with a really deep and loving heart. And Kitty Saro says this, During my year of silent retreat, Kuan Yin became a tangible presence. Every day I did a slow two-hour devotional practice called the Great Compassion Repentance Ceremony, which is centered on the vows of Kuan Yin. Master Hua assured me that this practice would help me overcome my illness and other karmic obstacles. He had typhoid fever for was sick for almost 10 years. As I deepened into this practice supported by all that I had learned from Ajahn Chah and Ajahn Sumedho, I entered a beautiful state, a depth of silence that revealed a timeless, trusting, intimate listening. This inner listening is considered the essence of Kuan Yin. Ultimately, Kuan Yin isn't Mahayana, Theravada, or even Buddhist. Kuan Yin is neither male nor female. The true spirit of Kuan Yin can manifest in any form needed to awaken, rescue, and pierce the hearts of living beings with compassion. In essence, Kuan Yin is a metaphor for the deepest heartbeat of the universe. A heart that is empty and yet filled with listening. A listening that is aware, merciful, proud, profoundly wise, and responsive. Through the practices centered on Kuan Yin, I discovered a deep sense of connection with all life. Ironically, even though I was silent, sitting alone in a tiny forest hut, I felt closer to my family, friends, and fellow community members than if I'd been sitting in a room with them. I discovered a prayerful dimension to my practice and plunged ever deeper into this mysterious Kuan Yin Dharma door the crux of which is merciful response emerging from emptiness. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that description is like, oh, the path of freedom, right? In this very intuitive way, connecting with the deep, this deep knowing, this deep understanding of emptiness, balanced with the force of compassion, the force of love, right? Right here, that's available to us even in a very simple moment. And so we might explore these, any ways to bring ritual into our practice could be just the beginning of a sit where we get still and remember, you don't even have to know the refuges, the chant. You might just reflect just for a moment, like, oh, this heart that knows how to take refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, this heart that can connect and be sensitive to the way things are and trust that there's this interconnectedness of human beings through time that have been seeking. And it is something very simple. And just at the end of our end of a practice, you might just, you know, experiment with a bow or a nod even or some kind of ritualistic ending, like a hand on the chest, the heart, closed eyes, like a surrender. This life is so complicated and my life is complicated and your life is complicated and it's all really true. Let me just bow to that right now. And hopefully these, as Kitty Saro pointed out, these ways of bringing some devotional practice or ritual and creative ways to inspire or enliven our practice also brings us closer to each other in creating what we want. how we want to be with each other. And I'm not sure how the world does that. I really don't know. But I do know that I feel responsible to you. And hopefully we feel responsible to each other. And if that's true, we get to figure that out moment by moment as our practice becomes more alive for each of us. It would be nice to hear from you all now after I talked longer than I thought I would. But there's still time. So share your thoughts about anything, really. And especially if you have something to say about, you know, how you return to your deepest values any ways that you use devotion or ritual to help you reconnect be great to hear yeah charlie 
really love the solar salutation uh, before I sit. Um, and when I do it, I um, really try to imagine um, connecting like like what's out there and then what's inside, you know, um, uh, forgetting the name of the guy from Spring Forest Qigong, but he's, he says, um, you know, the, the beauty, I am, I am in the universe, the universe is in me. And then I go down into, um, a, uh, um, child's pose. And, um, then in, in that place, uh, it's like, it's just easy for me to surrender there and open up. And it's like a, um, letting everything come in and then also being connected. But uh, so it's very physical and it helps me. Mm, Thanks, Charlie. My name's Tracy. Tracy. Um, this is Kuan Yin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I got her last time I was in Burma in January. <laughs> and I wasn't sure if I could allow myself to get it. But I'm really happy that I did now. Because who knows... I'll be back there. Hmm. Um, I think there are a number of things that that I do, but I just wanted to share that tonight before this sangha, I I sat and I chanted um, the metta chant um, that I learned in Burma. And it takes it takes a while. <laughs> um, But it really, it really connects me to that energy of kindness. And it really did tonight because I, there's this way that with the fear stuff that's happening right now, it feels like this, like it could just pull, the energy pulls like this. And, and there's chanting and just connecting with one of the ways it helps is to remember like generosity and like the whole culture in Burma is like that. And so it just like this wash of energy. And then I just could feel that the lifting into, into it, into metta and compassion uh, and it and it just is the experience of, of lightness versus you know, and then it, the fear would pull me again, and then anyway. So it was very helpful. Yeah, and I bow to Kuan Yin. 
<laughs> Every time before I sit. Yeah, something I really appreciate, Tracy. And um, sometimes if I don't, sometimes I'm, I might not intend to sit, but I'll, I'll just go into where my cushion is or where my altar is and I'll just pause there and just bow. It's a, just a way of reconnecting. Useful. doing hand raises yeah carolyn you just unmute yourself that's fine um i've found um uh lama rod owens has um a practice called the seven homecomings and i've found that really helpful this year um and i think that kind of with the notion that you were talking about with sangha i lost my two remaining grandparents in quick succession at the end of 2019 um and I was feeling just so much sorrow around that. And um, I've been really tapping into more sense of connection with ancestors through that practice in a um, more comforting and generative way. And I also think that what you were talking about with Sangha earlier has been so present in 2020, just the sense of feeling the presence of people without their physical presence um, and being close with folks. Um and actually, ironically, um, I don't know if people can see my shirt, but um, mm. is a friend of mine. And um, <laughs> I've had to rely on a lot of people this year in ways that I haven't in the past. And so I came to Oregon in, or- in August um, thinking I would be here for two weeks in the summertime. And then I got hit by a car and I've been here ever since because I've been recovering. Um, and people would reach out and be like, oh, well, how can I support you? Um, And I've been really diligent trying to be like, ask for help. Like I never ask for help and I never ask, you know, my Sangha for things. Um, So Jason asked me that and I was like, actually, I need some winter clothes. So like, basically I only wear humanize my hoodie because the only winter clothes I have are the hoodies he sent me. They're awesome. You should support him by buying some, but uh, (laughs) it's been a very interesting year of different types of, of Sangha for me um, in terms of ancestors and just people in my life. Yeah. Thank you. It's a good looking sweatshirt, by the way. (laughs) I think there's, um, Jessica, there's a um, sense in which I think that there's a I feel like I'm, I'm more root, rooted in, in sort of what's here, like both in, in terms of like, this, even, even with Zoom, you know, sort of being able to sort of look at one another's faces instead of just the backs of the sides of them as we sit in the hall together, or, and like even having the names right there so that I can look at your face and see your face and see your name at the same time. There's like, there's all this sort of gathering of information that feels like very personal and, you know, right here. And but there's also like sort of a settling down into sort of what's happening in the world in a way that I, you know, for some 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 ways I don't know that I've kind of hooked in as much as I am now to sort of like the responsibility I feel like I have 
to to not only to nature but to but to politics but to and to anti-racism and you know all these things that really feel like i have to like really get a hold of what's there and like sink into it and and like try to move something you know to get to like feel that movement and and like sort of generate more heat around it or something to keep it going it's just Mm. It's definitely a way more sort of weighty rooted feeling that I've had for quite some time. And I find uh, trees are, are, are sort of almost devotional objects of, of that because I feel like they're taking on that presence of that the slowness of how things travel through time and, and sort of how they wear it on their bodies in a way is um, it's sort of like a lovely kind of totem, you know, all, all on the, down the street. <laughs> it's beautiful. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, Jessica, um, this is Jillian. I'm thinking a lot of what you're saying resonated. Um, I did a, I was witness to a training offered by, I don't want to call it, maybe that training is the wrong word, but like experience um, offered by the Kente Circle Training Institute um, last month. And one of the people acknowledged that like, doing the the training the experience from your home or wherever people were had that grounded feeling so that people you know you know for me there was like a, a freedom to be with the experience however I was experiencing it however messy or real that was rather than like being all buttoned up in public with strangers. Um, <laughs> I was home, um, you know, ugly crying and <laughs> making big movements and whatever um, and yelling and stuff, which I wouldn't do in public. <laughs> so there's something about like this time and a re-understanding of what connection is that has been forced by these strange, horrible circumstances. And, um, <clears throat> and I'm thinking a lot about that too. And like the anti-racism framework of um, like Menachem talks about it as like race to culture, like moving from this racial framework to one of culture. And this kind of speaks to that um sangha idea is like how do we move as a nation into a collective culture of caring so that we don't need police to you know beat up the bad guys we take care of each other so that you know if somebody is acting out that they're wrapped up with love and not you know handcuffs so um that really speaks to me loudly too. So Shelly, thank you for connecting those dots in my head as well. So, yeah. Thanks, Jillian. I think I saw Carol. Carol, did you still have something to say? I know I saw your so audio off. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> Shelly. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, when you, when you listen to one or two more shares, then there's some, <laughs> the mind is in a different place. So, so yeah. many other things. Um, 
Yeah, a few things. Um, I came to this group tonight. You know, it's later here for me, and I'm an I, I'm very very early riser, especially since COVID. So this is bedtime for me. I was very sleepy, and I fell asleep a few times during during the sit. And when I woke up, instead of well, there was just absolutely no. Um, I felt so loved. <laughs> I felt so okay to have fallen asleep because I felt that the body had rested in this sangha. Hmm. There's a way I've been quite isolated here other than thank you goodness for the connections I have on the screen. And I realized that there was a way that there had been a letting go and I just was relaxing into the body and I woke up and there you all were and it was like, oh. And then I did wake up, you know, the energy comes back. so I'm grateful for you all. And then another piece um, about not seeing my people. You know, I've been coming to um, participating in Dharma communities for a long time. And it was many years before I attended at IMS, um, the nuns came and just gave an all, you know, just the nuns, no monks. And it was, um, there were both men and women practitioners in the room for the retreat, but it was just the nuns. And even though there are female bodies, I hadn't experienced the feminine presence in terms of uh, authority. And, and it was stunning what came to this heart to see them up there and to see them actually create and hold the space for us. So that was, that was stunning. And that was maybe 10 years ago now. Um, yeah, and, and I had taken on some kind of, uh, conditioning, um, harshness about a divine devotional practice such that, uh, during this COVID time, you know, I sit with you, you all most mornings and I like to chant in the morning. I help, I do the reflections and I do like an English meta chant and, and then um, at least once a week, I like to chant the, um, the chant from Aloka Vihara, from the nuns, the 13 realized bhikkhuni. And you name each one in the quality that they embody. And I was feeling a little furtive. You know, I do that chant and I'm like, oh, you know, I should be just like being, I, I mean, it's like ridiculous. It's oppressive kind of over my head. I'm here alone in my house. I shouldn't be chanting. I'm cheating. And I remember in one of the groups, I said, offhandedly like, oh, I'm kind of cheating in the morning. I'm doing these chants. And, and I caught that. It's such a sad thing. I was like, I, I took that back. That No, it's not a cheat. This is a wonderful thing. I realized what was beneficial for the mind. I'm inclining the mind in the direction of recollecting the feminine energies, the teachings. <laughs> like, I don't know. With this notion, like I was, you know, getting away with something, and it's, uh, it just needed correction. And then finally, I want to say, I, I had found this book several years ago, Conflict is Not Abuse by Sarah Schulman. And I keep mentioning it. And all of a sudden, son of a gun, it's, the time is not coming. The premise in this book, she talks a lot about how we, as communities, as groups, as families, larger communities, nations, abdicate responsibility to support one another in conflict. And we go to the authorities. 
whether it's the police or the teacher or whatever, you know, somebody that's going to take care of it because we don't want to deal with the mess. And she's really advocating for communities, groups, families, Dharma centers, <laughs> nations uh, to, to step it up. And, and, and just like somebody, I think it was Jillian and, and Jessica saying, like to, to hold people hold one another in their suffering and to not be not be afraid to move close you know this notion of compassion moving close not compassion being like oh i'm glad i'm not involved you know like oh i feel so bad for you you know so um i want to mention that and i will keep mentioning it and i'm going to reread it to see um it impacted me so much a couple of years ago i want to read it again and see See what's there, and I'm just looking at your faces, and I'm just having a total love party here. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for showing up. It matters, you know, to show up. Uh, it really does. Thanks, Carol. That's a nice way to end. Before I ask Patrice to dedicate the merit for us. So this is. Um... This is a ritual I really love, but Carol, if you would um, email me, I'm trying to pull together um, a virtual uh, discussion group around that book, which I have not yet read. Hmm. But so please email me and we will figure this out. Um, so this is one of the, the beautiful um, rituals that um, this really helps me feel connected, um, connected to um, my imagination, uh, connected to um, one of the paramis, generosity, and uh, to really connect with kind of my deepest intention. So so if there are any benefits, blessings, goodness from our time together tonight from our shared practice from our sharing if we could we would gladly happily joyfully share it with others in fact completely give it away we could give it to people we know and love we could give it to people we don't know and maybe don't love. We can give it to people who are particularly suffering. We could give it to the animals, the trees, the earth itself, wishing for all beings, no matter how large, how small, that everyone, everyone find a path to peace and goodness and ultimately freedom. May it be so. Thanks, Patrice. Thanks, Thanks everyone. So in the spirit of ritual, Patrice, can I just ask what 
that ritual is about? Where does it come from? Like the origin of dedicating the merit? Hmm. I've just always been curious about what it is. And I, I think it's, it's a very ancient, ancient practice of the idea that um, one's goodness, um, you know, that one would, would share whatever, whatever blessings one has um, with others. So it is, uh, I think you can find it um, implicitly in, in the suttas. I don't know if you have a, a better, someone has a better text for it, but it is a practice that is done um, in various iterations throughout the, the Buddhist world. And it might also be, um, I don't know if it's ever done in Hinduism or in um, Jain practice. I don't know if it's um, you know, specific to Buddhism and certainly in um, Catholicism, you know, there are practices where you offer your indulgences for another. So it's really that idea about um, sharing blessings, about the cultivation of generosity and sharing, sharing blessings. But people may know more about it than, than I do, Jillian. So if anyone, um, and I can actually make an effort to uh, do a little research, Jillian, and maybe next week have something better to say for you that's Oh, what you do it it is so beautiful and heartfelt that I just so appreciate the artfulness with which you you dedicate any blessing. So, <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay, this is goodbye. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. My friends. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Be well. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.